the American Battlefield Trust seeks to save 128 acres of the Perryville Battlefield, which is a iconic Civil War battle. And for every dollar that you give to the American Battlefield Trust, your donation will be matched by $5.85. It's a great way to give back to our nation's battlefields. If you would like to help out, please log on to battlefields.org. What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Tattoo Historian Show. My name is John. I am the Tattoo Historian, and thank you so much for your patience. I know that I had a week off where I wasn't doing a podcast. I was actually traveling in the Ottawa Valley in Ontario, Canada, which is basically my second home because I grew up there in the summers for two, sometimes uh, three weeks. And uh, so it's like a homecoming for me. My family's been going there for over 50 years, and I'm the last to keep the tradition alive. So it was really good to get there and to uh, have some Tim Hortons and drink a lot of coffee and have a lot of donuts and sit by the lake where uh, my family has fished for over 50 years and just have a relaxing time. And it wasn't, uh, you know, there was some work involved on this trip, and I'm going to go over that in a few minutes. Uh, but it, w- it was a great time, and I really enjoyed being able to just uh, have some time to myself and recharge the batteries. We all need that from time to time. And that was my one week out of the year where I can really sit back, relax, and just take it all in and think about the future of this project and think about where we've come and uh, and think about your support and how far that has brought this whole thing. And I'm so appreciative of that. I'm so appreciative of you tuning in each week liking, subscribing, sharing this podcast. It means so much to me. The word is getting out slowly about this project and about my brand. And I want to give two special shout outs today. Uh, one is to Boston Historical Park. They uh, they have invited me to come up and to speak next weekend, which is August 10th and 11th, at their We Can Do It service on the Homefront World War II event. Now, I've been asked to speak both days, and uh, I will be talking about Boston as a training ground. So places around Boston where men and women both trained for service during World War II. I think it's a part of World War II that we often overlook. We think about the battles and 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 stuff like that, but we, we tend to overlook what happens on the home front other than factory work. We hear about the Rosie the Riveters and, and all that, but... What about the training that was involved and the logistics to get people from one coast to another or up the eastern seaboard, as in the case of Boston, or from the interior to Boston, to New York? So I'm going to be talking about that next weekend, and I'm so appreciative that uh, they have invited me to come to Charlestown Navy Yard next weekend and speak. I'm going to be doing some live streaming from there as well. Uh, touring around, seeing some of the other things that they're putting on. So if you log on to my Facebook, you'll be able to see a lot of those live streams that I'm going to be doing or just general postings that I'm going to do. But I'm really excited about going back to Boston. It's one of my favorite cities. And uh, 
I'm going to get some chowder and I'm going to relax. And uh, it should be a great time. And and again, it's August 10th and 11th. If you're in the area, you know, please come by, hear me speak if you like, uh, come say hello. I'm I'll be really uh, happy to see you. And I know that the park will be happy to have you there as well. They think it's going to be a really big event, and I'm hoping that we get a great turnout and great weather. Uh, the other shout-out that I want to give this week is to something called History Camp. This particular one is History Camp Virginia. You can find them at historycamp.org slash Virginia. Uh, I was asked if I wanted to speak there, and I gave them a proposal, and they accepted it. So on Saturday, November 16th, I will be speaking at George Mason University, and uh, I'll be talking about how historical entities such as nonprofits or museums or other historians in general like me can utilize social media to their advantage and get that content out there and how they create content and how do you funnel it to the right people and make sure that it gets in the right feeds. So I'm going to be talking about that and... Uh, I think it's a way for me to give back to the field and to use what I've learned to teach others. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping that it goes over really well. It's going to be about a 45-minute talk, but uh, I might trim it down a little bit so I get a lot more Q&A because I think I want to uh, you know, help others get used to the fact that you need to get content out there and how much content should you do and, and what platforms reach what people. So I really want to help out in that way. So again, that's History Camp Virginia. That's at George Mason University on Saturday, November 16th. For more information, you can log on to historycamp.org slash Virginia. And uh, I know it's something that's been taking off rapidly. It's a little more laid back of a conference. It's not your traditional stuffy kind of conference. And uh, I'm really looking forward to being a part of that. Now, I want to talk about something that I saw in Canada when I was roaming around at different museums. Uh, I went to three museums, two local museums and one internationally recognized museum. And uh, I wanted to talk about public history in Canada as compared to what we see in the States. And when you go to different museums out there, you see different ways of interpretation. And I don't mean the messaging. I mean stuff that's put out on display. And how is it displayed? And why is it displayed a certain way? So I want to go over that with you today. So this is kind of like a, a review of what I witnessed in public history from two of those museums in the Ottawa Valley. And the first one I want to bring up is a small local museum called the McDougal Mill Museum. They're in Renfrew, Ontario. And uh, Renfrew is a small town. It's west of... Ottawa, and uh, it's a town that I'd known well. It's about 10 miles or so west of the town where I practically grew up in the summers. So sometimes we would go to Renfrew, Ontario, and we would uh, hang out there, get groceries, get our things, and come back to the cottage. So Renfrew is a, is a place that I know very well. Surprisingly, though, I had never been to the McDougal Mill Museum there. And this was the first time that I was able to take the time and go to the museum because I wasn't fishing on this trip. I was doing more of just a, a relaxing tourist kind of thing. So I, I went into this McDougal Mill Museum wondering what I was going to see. Now, they have an online presence, which is great. It's actually one of the ways that I found them. And um, 
it was really interesting. What what they are doing is they are basically the local historical society. They are taking in all these artifacts from local people, families that go back into the 1700s, the 1800s, and they're putting this stuff on display. Now, I'm going to be posting some photos throughout the next several weeks of what I saw in this museum. But I want you to picture just this old mill, uh, stone mill, and you walk inside and it's just like walking into an antique store. That's what this place was like. If you don't like text, you're going to love this place. Uh, this is this is heavy, heavy on artifacts. Uh, there is text involved. I don't want to knock that. But what I'm saying is you're going to walk in there and it's just like walking into an antique store. You have people's stuff, clothing and and irons and kitchenware and all this stuff that people have donated over the years so that it's protected and, and preserved enough uh, for future generations to come in and see it and to talk about it and talk about times past. And um, it's really a homely place to walk into. You know, you feel comfortable when you walk in there uh, because it's it's very laid back. They have a great staff uh, of a lot of university-age students who work there throughout the summer. And uh, I got to talk with some of them. And you could really tell they're really into the history. And that's that's one great thing. And while I was there, they were actually dusting off a lot of the china that they had on display and some of the glasses. A very tedious thing to do, but uh, it had to be done. And they were cleaning the cases and such. But what was really neat was when you walk in there, probably... I don't know, maybe 80% of the collection is on display. And that's that's a guess. But that thing is, that, that place is packed. And I asked them, they have three stories. They have a basement, which has farming equipment and stuff off of the local farms. Uh, that's in the basement. In the first floor, it's more of your living room style stuff. Uh, and then on the, the second floor is, uh, there's military uniforms up there. There's uh, different kinds of dresses and uh, basically old clothing upstairs uh, that you can see and experience the chronology of fashion in, in Renfrew. And I asked them, you know, where's your storage at? And they told me it's on the fourth floor or the, the third floor, I guess you could say. Uh, it's in the attic. And uh, they said, you know, there's stuff up there that's either broken or it doesn't pertain to Renfrew, but people just donated it anyway. So it was really interesting to me to see how the stuff was displayed. Because like I said, it's kind of like walking into a flea market or walking into an antique center to see this stuff. It's done the best way possible because you, you can just imagine a lot of people coming in and saying, Oh, I have all of these items and my family doesn't care. Here you go. And you got to wonder, okay, how are we going to display this? And what are we going to do with this piece and that piece? So I know that it can be overwhelming, um, but they are doing their absolute best, and they're doing a great job under their circumstances. They have a lot of stuff in there, and uh, I saw things that, you know, uh, were displayed very, very well, as we would say here, or as we would show here in the United States. And I saw things that were hanging on hangers that I probably wouldn't hang on a hanger. But it's the way that they display it, which is different than how we do it. And it's something that uh, we have to take into account when we visit a foreign country. 
and we see how they do public history. It could be totally different than how we do it here, and it's a learning process for all of us. But I really like the McDougal Mill Museum. It's by donation, so you walk in, you give what you can, you walk through, and uh, it's very open and very inviting. And they do have events there, so you can check out their their Facebook site and such for events and event listings. Uh, but I really did enjoy my time there. And I think it's like 20 bucks a year to be a member, and you can help out by keeping uh, keeping that place going, which would be fantastic for the local crowd. The one place, though, that I go back to almost every time I'm in Canada in the Ottawa Valley is the Canadian War Museum. And as you know, I'm a, I'm a military historian by trade, I guess you could say. Um, I, I studied war in society, how people are affected by conflict. And uh, so I go to the War Museum a lot. And I went back this time. They had a special exhibit on Highlanders, which was a fantastic exhibit. And uh, I visited that for a little while. I went back into the museum itself. And uh, when you walk into the Canadian War Museum, you go into different sections of the museum and you're, you're following the chronology of military history in Canada. And it, it goes back to the 17th century, and it moves forward to modern day. And you learn a lot by going through these different galleries. But again, it's artifact heavy, more so than we have here in the States. And I really enjoy that because you get to see the artifacts that they're talking about or that made the history or was there when history was made. You're not seeing tablet after tablet after tablet of text because after a while, even as a historian, I start to glaze over and I'm like, there's too much text here. Uh, we need more stuff here. You don't have to worry about that uh, either at the McDougal Mill Museum or at the Canadian War Museum because there's so many artifacts on display. And that's something I appreciate. I'm a learner like that. I'm a visual learner. I have to see the artifact to connect it with the past. Uh, reading off a tablet is great. If that's the way you learn, fantastic. I need to see the object. Uh, I you know, had my job in the archives, but I spent a lot of time where the holdings were, and I had to see those original artifacts to understand, uh, to get that connection, I should say, with the past. And you experience that a lot when you are at uh, an institution like the Canadian War Museum, because they have artifacts there that were on the Plains of Abraham in, in the 18th century. And there's a mortar just sitting there out in the open, and you can go up to it and, and touch it, and you can, uh, you know, experience history in that way. We would have that roped off, or even in glass uh, in the United States. It's open there. Uh, so that's one example of, of how that is. The one place, though, that in the museum that is wild to me and different to me is when you go to what I call the basement, uh, but it's actually where they keep all of their armor and artillery. And when you go down in there, you're right next to tanks that have made history. You know, you're, you're next to World War II tanks, World War I tanks. Uh, they, have a, they have an old French Renault tank there. Uh, like the Doughboys used in World War One, they have one sitting there. They have German tanks from World War Two. They have uh, Russian tanks from the Cold War, 
and it's all inside the building. So you're not going outside, you're staying inside the building. Um, there's there's tanks there from and armor from the modern era, uh, up through Desert Storm, up through, uh, you know, the, the, the war in Iraq, the war in Afghanistan. So you're getting to see all this stuff that made history, and it's right there. It, barely any of it is roped off, uh, at least on one side of the room. Barely any of the armor is roped off. You can go around them and see the different parts of it, which is a great thing. You can go up to it. You can experience it in your own way. You can ponder it in your own way. It's not hiding from you. It's not hiding in that history, or history uh you know, uh, kind of mixing bowl where things are thrown into and you can't touch it. You can't go beyond the, the rim of the bowl. You just look down in. Uh, this is different. And and I really appreciate that. And their artillery is the same way. A lot of artillery down in there, you can walk up to it. You can experience the height of the barrels of artillery when they're elevated. You can see 18th century cannons uh, sitting on uh, propped up on the floor uh very archivally though it's not it's not like you know they're just plopping down cannons but it's it's done proper um you can see mortars you can see uh wagons that took men up to the western front world war one uh ambulances motorcycles motorcycles with sidecars what i'm what i'm saying is there's so many different ways for you to experience this stuff because where we how we do it uh is sometimes too quarantined, in my opinion, to allow people to go up and actually see these things close up, experience it, maybe hold an object they'd never held before. That lights the spark. It goes back to my days of being a living historian very, very often. I always had the stuff that you would have carried as a soldier at some time period, and I laid it all out so people could see it because to keep it packed in my pack wasn't doing us any good or to keep it in my haversack where I will keep my food. It wasn't doing any good. If you're into education, you bring all that stuff out. And that was so very important to me to be able to, to do that. And it's so very important for me to see other institutions doing that and allowing people to see some things that maybe wouldn't be on display all the time. And I saw that at McDougal Mill I saw that at the Canadian War Museum. And I think we could learn something from that. If things are put on display properly and we take the time to put things on display, people will come. Uh, a lot of people don't read. Well, they don't read like they used to. Uh, times have changed. Our, our brains have reset in a way where we like that Instagram post with a paragraph of text, and we move on. We're not used to reading three pages of text anymore like we used to. And I'm not saying that is like everybody's like that, but society likes it quick and now, and that's the way we're, we're trained now with social media, with online resources, etc. So I think that the way that public history is presented in the Ottawa Valley uh, with having heavy... Uh, artifact-based things. Uh, that, that is a way I think we need to ponder going forward in the history field, because if that gets the attention of a person who hasn't considered what that artifact meant to them until they're right in front of it, then we have a new way 
of introducing people to history. It's, it's time for us to keep trying to push the envelope uh, as far as putting more stuff on display. I've heard many people tell me that they don't want to donate things to museums because all they're going to do is go into storage and never be seen. I hear that time and time and time again. So maybe we should flip that a little bit. And maybe we should make, you know, 10, 20% more on display than we do now. I think it would be beneficial for a lot of people. And to hoard this stuff in and say that only a certain few get to go in the back and see certain things, I think is not allowing us to break down that barrier that some have put up in the history field. I think allowing more access to artifacts can only be beneficial in the long run, even if it is encased or behind a rope, at least it's out and you're seeing it. I think that it can be so much more beneficial for our field. And when I went up to Ottawa and the Ottawa Valley and I saw some of these artifacts on display, I couldn't help but notice that it is different than what we do in the States. And I think it can be more beneficial for them as you know their younger generation is coming up. They want to see these artifacts. And then we are still stuck in a pattern that we've had for so long because we're used to it. Uh, I really think that the public history field could learn something from having heavier artifact displays than text only. If you're into, uh, you know, having more text, that's fine. I would argue that maybe instead of spending the money on all the text and all the tablets for that, put the artifacts out on display and have more docents. And the docents can be there to answer any questions and talk about something in detail. That also provides internship opportunities. That could also provide part-time job opportunities. It could lead to more stuff and more community involvement in the long run. That's just an idea of mine. Uh, would it work for an organization you work for? Maybe not. But for some of you, it could be a route to go. Um, I know that it costs you know, a lot of money sometimes to make up all these tablets, to do all the editing and all that. Well, if you already have docents there, and if it's, even if it's a volunteer force that you already have, put the artifact out on display and let the docents feel a part of the story. Uh, I saw that on display, no pun intended, at these two museums. And I think that can be a great thing. It can only help in the long run because you're getting more community involvement we're getting more involvement from interns who need something to do other than stand at the copier all day. I think more artifact-driven stories can lead to a better discussion about the past than just having text and one or two artifacts. Have four or five artifacts telling that story, but have someone there leading the conversation or making people think about it a different way. That, I think, is something that we could work on um, here in the States as far as public history is concerned. I know some entities are doing that. I would love to see more do that. More interaction uh, between people uh, is always a great thing. And I think that if we become more artifact-heavy, we will see that transpire. So if you ever go up to the Ottawa Valley, you go into Ontario, go visit their museums. 
go see how public history is done a little bit differently in, in Canada, in Ontario for me, than it is here in the States. And if you're from Canada and you're listening in, come down to the States sometime and see how we do it differently. Uh, you'll see some similarities, but you'll see a lot of differences. And I think we can learn from each other. And if we just open up that line of communication, like on LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever, and we start to talk about how we present our history, we could learn a lot from each other and be more relevant in the society as a whole. But that was my takeaway from my, my time at those two museums. I'm really appreciative of the staff at McDougal Mill for, uh, for talking with me for a while and the, the students who were there helping out, talking about what they are uh, studying, and it, and it was just a great time there. And I want to thank the Canadian War Museum for, for doing such a great job with their history. They always do. They're always so professional, and uh, I, I love going there every year. I'm sure I'll be going back to McDougal Mill every time I'm up there as well because I just love seeing all those old artifacts on display. Uh, but if you're ever up around there, go check them out. Check them out online. Uh, go like their pages, follow them. I'm sure you will love some of their posts on the, online. But thank you for tuning in this week. Uh, I, I'm so glad to be back on, and I'm glad that you all are tuning in and listening each week. The numbers, as I keep saying, are increasing slowly, but they are increasing. They're going the right direction. And it's because you're tuning in and you're sharing it, you're liking it, you're passing the word along. And when I have... Uh, a very limited budget market-wise uh, to market this stuff. Uh, your word of mouth means so much to me because you, you're telling your friends about the Tattoo Historian brand, the Tattoo Historian show, or whatever else, and it's leading more people in my direction so we can get more of a dialogue open about the past, and I can't thank you enough for that. Uh, there are so many more episodes to come. I'm lining up more interviews I have more reviews of other museums that I want to do, uh, movie reviews coming up, uh, maybe even some video game reviews, event reviews. And, uh, you know, I just want to give you a mix because I've been getting emails about that. We want to see more than just interviews or we want to hear more than just interviews. We want to hear your take on uh, an event or we want to hear from event coordinators about their events uh, or on and on and on. So I'm going to try and mix it up a little bit for you and uh, give you something that uh, is a little bit different than the other history podcasts you may listen to. But again, thank you for tuning in this week. I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Please like, share, subscribe, rate it. Uh, you know, it means so much to me. Tune in next week for even more history, guys. Take care of yourself. Mm-hmm.